0: Good morning, New Beginnings. It is so great to be here. You mean so much to us, uh, our family. Uh, you may not even really know us, but you mean a great deal uh, to us, to Kyla and our three kids uh, who are here this morning. And um, on, the, on the one hand, your pastor means a great deal to me. Um, as he said, we've been friends for a long time. And I just want you to know, if you don't know it, you have an incredible pastor, um, a man that loves God's word, that loves you, and that loves the lost. Todd, uh, we did go to college together. He's a little older than me, and so I've always looked up to Pastor Todd. I've always wanted to be Pastor Todd one day when I grow up. He's just been a guy through the years that I have admired and respected deeply and have deeply valued our friendship together. You mean a lot to us and our family because you are our ascending church, uh, you are the church that is getting behind us uh, to, to believe in us and to go alongside of us as we answer God's call upon our lives to plant a church. I want you to know it's, it's not an organization that plants churches. It's not just a pastor or people that plant churches. It is the church. When you look at the New Testament, it's the church that plants the church of Jesus Christ. And you, as a church, have stepped up to say, We believe in them, we're supporting them, we're behind them, and we're sending them out. I can't tell you how much that means to us. Um, And I can't tell you that in the midst of all this, since we've been in this journey, how special it has been and how helpful you have been. Just this past weekend, I'll tell you more about that in just a second. Just this past weekend, you had 55 people from New Beginnings come and help us put on our first preview service. A few weeks before that, you had a group of college students that came and passed out. I think they did about 3,000 door hangers uh, in our community, and then, and then of course when we had the service, I think like half the stuff that we had you had produced and done for us, like in print material and so forth. And you just mean so much to us. A year ago, almost right out a year ago, uh, I had a trip to Texas. I was a pastor. Um, I was the pastor at First Baptist Charlotte, North Carolina so a long ways away. We're from Texas. This is home for us. And I've spent the majority of my ministry here in East Texas in this area, pastoring here. Um, But the past four years, we were in Charlotte. Had a trip to uh, East Texas for just a quick ministry thing and needed to stay an extra night in the Dallas area. And so I called my best friend in the world, a guy that I've uh, journeyed ministry with. You've probably met him before, Nathan Lorick. And when they moved back to Texas, they moved to a town, a little town, my thinking was a little podunk town called Salina, Texas in North uh, North Dallas. Uh, all I've ever known about Salina is that it's this small town, about 3,000 people, that's really only known for one thing, and that's their high school football team, the Salina Bobcats. We are seven-time state champions, okay, four back-to-back in The late 90s and early 2000s. And that's what the city is all about. That's all there is to know about the city. That's at least my opinion about it. It's a one-stop light town. And I think they just got that a few years ago. And so it's just been this little podunk place. And so I called Nathan up and said, hey, bud, I got an extra night and I'd love to see your little town. And he was like, dude, come sleep on our couch, hang out with us. And we did. I did spend a night in Salina, Texas, Right at a year ago, never in my wildest imagination would I have realized that God was beginning something in my heart and in our family's heart uh, to one day plant a church there. On that trip, on that conversation, Nathan shared with me a lot about Salina I didn't know and asked me and challenged me at the end of that time, you ought to plant a church here. And I said, you're nuts. You're crazy. I ain't doing that. Um... But this January of 2022, leading our church through a 21 day of prayer and fasting, day one of that fast, God lays the city of Salina on my heart so heavy, I can't look away. And at first I'm like, God, you got to stop this. You got to stop this. But what we realize is that God was calling us to plant. Let me tell you something about Salina that I didn't know that, that you may not know. Salina, Texas is right now the fastest growing city in the state of Texas. Uh, five years ago, our population in Salina was about 10,000 people. Five years later, today, right now, we're sitting at a population of about 40,000 people. Can you imagine that in, three year, in five years, we've had about 30,000 people move to our community. Over the next 8 to 10 years, it's projected that our population will go from 40,000 to around 160,000 people in the next 8 to 10 years, making us the fastest growing city in the state of Texas, arguably the country. Eventually, we'll cap out, demographers say, about half a million people in what used to be this little bitty town. One day, we will be one of the largest cities in the North Dallas metro area. And in the midst of all of this growth that we've experienced over the past decade, really, the church has not grown with it. We have about 11 churches in our community. And they're great churches. They're churches that we partner with and we believe in and so forth. But in the midst of all this growth, on any given Sunday in the city of Salina, about 40,000 people, any given Sunday, there's roughly 1,300 people in church in Salina. It's a major difference between 40 and 1,300. And so what God has laid upon our heart is that our, as our city rapidly grows, to plant a church poised and built to reach those who are moving there, to evangelistically, biblically reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to build a church in a lot of ways like a New Beginnings Baptist church, that cares for this community. We don't wanna be the best church in the city, but we wanna be the best church for our city. And that's what we feel God calling us to plant and establish a church that one day would be a dynamic church for the kingdom of God and that we would be sending and we would be helping plenty because I don't know if you know this, the city, the state of Texas is growing because it's an awesome state. Why would you not wanna live here? Believe me, I've lived in other states and they're not as good as this state. And so people are moving to this, the state of Texas. And listen, people are lost. They need a church that will go after them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we wanna do. And I'm gonna tell you, church, we couldn't do it without you. Five months ago, my family rolled into town. And last Sunday, we rolled into town. We were two families. We were my family and one other family that were part of our church. Last Sunday, with the help of you, and you helped us. You, you had a group of college students that showed up at noon, that worked till five, unpacking, sweating, and then worshiping with us. You had a group of people that came and ran our kids' ministry for us. You had a group of people that ran our parking lot team, that ran our front door greeters. Half the print material was yours that you put together for us. We could not have done what we did last weekend for our very first preview service. And in our very first preview service, we saw 147 people at that service and 61 of those people were from our community, and we're praising God for what he did in that. So you mean a lot to us, and we look forward to getting to know you more in the days ahead. If you take your Bible with you this morning, if you brought it or have it on an app, take it and turn it to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be this morning. Acts chapter 9, Uh, is a big chapter in the Bible. There's something drastic and dramatic that takes place in Acts chapter nine. In Acts chapter nine, a guy by the name of Saul is radically saved by Jesus Christ. He's going to this town named Damascus and Jesus appears to Saul, blinds him, this says, why are you persecuting me? And it melts Saul's heart, and he turns his life over to Jesus. And we know the long story of that, that Saul eventually becomes Paul, and he becomes the greatest missionary that the world had known at that time. He started a missionary movement that is continuing today, that eventually a church named New Beginnings was planted, and right now there's a church uh, that is being planted in Salina, Texas, called Legacy Hill. All that began with the missionary movement of church planting that the apostle Paul got to be a part of, and he's saved in Acts chapter nine. It's a dramatic change for the church, It's a dramatic movement in the early uh, development of the church and what is going on. It's a big deal, but you don't know it at the time as you're reading the book of Acts. Just this guy who hated the church and hated Christians is saved, and that's all we know. And then a unique character pops up in Acts 9, a character we don't know anything about, a character we've never heard of before, and a character we only hear about right here, we don't hear of him anymore, by the name of Ananias. Here's why I wanna draw your attention to this story of Ananias. Because he plays a small part, a very small part, but an important part. In the work of the church, in the will of God, and in the purpose of God's kingdom, Because whether you realize it or not, you and I are part of the work of the church, part of the will of God, and part of the purpose of God's kingdom. And God wants to use you in that. And when we look at this, the very same thing that God asks of Ananias. I believe God is asking of you and me. The very same things that Ananias gives to God in this story I believe God wants you to give him. So draw your attention, if you would, to this story, verse 10, Acts 9, and notice with me what, is, what we're told about this guy. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am. And the Lord said to him, rise and go. To the street called Straight and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he has seen, he, he seen in a vision a man named Ananias to come in and to lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to, to bind any who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So so Ananias departed and he entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you at the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off of his eyes and he regained his sight and he rose, he was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. We don't know a whole lot about Ananias, we know nothing of his future, we know nothing of his past, we know nothing of his background, we don't know When he was saved, we don't know how old he was. We don't know what his family looked like. We don't know what he was good at. We don't know if he liked sports. We don't know what teams he cheered for. We don't know what he did for a living. But all we need to know, we know, in the first three words that Ananias spoke. He said three words. God called him and called his voice and said, Ananias. And what Ananias said in response Tells us everything we need to know. He said, Here I am. Here I am. That's not the first time we've heard that statement in the Bible, those three words, here I am. In fact, we see a theme and a pattern throughout the Bible from the very beginning a response when God calls a person and says the name of a person, a person responding, here am I. One of the first times we see it is in Genesis chapter 22, the book of Genesis, the story of Abraham, the story where Abraham is called to go sacrifice his, his son up on Mount Moriah. God calls him Abraham and Abraham responds, here I am. We hear it again in the book of First Samuel. There's a little boy who's working in the temple, Samuel. And he's up late at night one night. And he keeps hearing his name called out. And so he goes up to his boss, Eli, and he says, Hey, Eli, did you call me? Here I am. And Eli says, No, it wouldn't me go back to bed, man. And so it happens three times. Eli finally realizes, Hey, this is the Lord calling you, Samuel. And so when he calls again, speak to him. Samuel says, Here I am. Fast forward a few more hundred years, we meet the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. He is given an incredible vision of the throne room of God. And we see he sees the glory of God, and he sees angels floating around the throne room. And he, he's in this incredible moment in Acts chapter, in, in, in Isaiah chapter 6. And in that chapter. God speaks and they say in that moment, whom shall we send and who will go for us? And do you remember what Isaiah said? He said, here am I, send me. And this is what Ananias said when God called his name, here I am. And what that statement means, when you look at all of these other people who said it, and when you look at what Ananias said was meaning when he said that is is this, Here I am, this is me, where I am, who I am, how I am, and I'm willing. Whatever you have for me, I'm willing. Who I am, here I am, for you. What is it you need of me, God? What is it that you want of me? Here is my yes before the question is even asked. This is a willingness on Ananias' part. This is a readiness on Ananias' part to be a part of what God would have of him. He hears his name. His response is, here I am. You know, oftentimes when we hear our names called, that's our response. That's been your response at moments because I don't know what it is about us, why we're wired this way, but we have this incredible ability to hear our names. You ever been in a large crowd of people and someone says your name, maybe not even be talking about you, or maybe not even actually have been your name, something that sounded like it, and you picked it out and you heard it? Like, we can just hear it. Like, we're just, it's almost like this second thing we're listening for at all times. But there are certain times in our life when, when we hear our names, we, we respond the same way. We respond immediately to the call of our names. One of those times that happens occasionally in your life and in my life that we are eagerly wantingly listening for our names to be called. And upon the call of our name, we respond immediately. And that is when you are in a long wait at a restaurant and your name is on the waiting list, but the restaurant's so good. The food is so good. You're stinking hungry. Your kids are cranky and you decided to stick it out for the 45 minute wait, but you know it's going to be worth it. And so as you're tending to your family, as you're trying to hold back your stomach. You're listening the entire time with one ear for your name to be called. And you know, in moments like that, we are so eager to answer to the call of our name that it doesn't even really have to be our name that's called, we're gonna answer. I was at a restaurant the other day and my kids were hungry, we were hungry, we had been waiting, we decided to stick it out. And I remember the waitress saying something to the effect of, and that's all I needed to hear. That's me, here I am. Party of five, whatever you were about to say, that's me. Well, it was, we were actually calling for Stacy. Well, I knew it was Stacy one time. That's me. Certainly it's me. So eager, so wanting to hear our name and respond. There are times that we, we immediately respond. You know, it's kind of sad that we are more willing to answer the voice of a hostess at a restaurant than the voice of Almighty God when he calls our name. Because whether you realize it or not, God is calling your name. For some of you this morning, God is calling your name to be saved. He has been calling you to give your life to his son, Jesus Christ. He has been showing you your sin. He has been telling you and calling you to turn your life over, to be forgiven by his son, to give your life to his son, to trust in the name of his son. He is calling you and he's calling you this morning and he is calling you by name. The Holy Spirit of God is calling you by name to give your life to Jesus. For others of you in this room, God is calling us to be a part of his plan. He has a will for your life. He has a purpose for your life. He has something in particular he wants to do through you. And he has been calling your name. For others of you in this room, there, 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 there are things that Jesus are calling us out on. He is calling out our sin. He is calling out our disobedience. He is calling out our laziness. He is calling out our lack of willing to follow him. And what he is wanting us to say, how he is wanting us to respond in all of these circumstances, here I am. Here I am. Where I am. Who I am. Right here. Right now. Whatever you want. Ananias gave God his here. Would you. So he says, Here am I, and God begins to give him the instruction to tell him what he wants of him, what his purpose for his life and his purpose in this moment is. And so in verse 11, he says to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, to the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus. So he basically gives these instructions I want you to go. So Ananias gives God his here, and God immediately calls for Ananias to go. And here's what's important about this is because not only is it a particular call for Ananias, it's something that we see that's important in the purpose of God for our lives and for his kingdom is that going is essential to God's plan. You see, in this situation, this circumstance, something very unique happened. The Apostle Paul had been saved miraculously by a vision of Jesus. Jesus appeared to the Apostle Paul, saved him in that moment, and then told him after he was saved, So go to this house, start praying, and I'm gonna send a guy by the name of Ananias to come and see you. So just go there and wait, and and everything will be fine. There's a guy named Ananias coming to see you. And on the flip side, God says, all right, listen, I've set this up on a T for you. I've made this very easy for you. All I need you to do, write this address down, There's this town called Damascus, there's this road in in the town of Damascus named um, Straight. It's pretty easy to see, it's just straight. There's a house called Judas, in that house there's a guy, his name is Saul, and he's praying. And in that house, this guy praying, I've told that guy, there's a man by the name of Ananias coming to see you. Ananias, that's you. Are you sure it's not anyone else? And God probably said, no, because you're the only Ananias I've ever named Ananias. Have you ever met an Ananias? Of course you haven't, because it's an awful name. Who would name their kid Ananias? If you've done that, I'm so sorry. Big mistake. <laughs> so he sets it all up on a tea. All Ananias has to do is just, what? Go. See, there's some things that only God can do. There's only one God. There's only one that could have saved Saul. Ananias couldn't do that. You couldn't do that. There's something that only God can do. Salvation. No one else is worthy of what Jesus did. No one else can save a person but Jesus. And for that matter, no one else can convict a person but Jesus. No one else can change a person's heart but Jesus. No one else can deliver a person from what Jesus can do. No one else can grow a person in the Lord like Jesus can. There is so much that only Jesus can do. Salvation is by his name alone. So much only he can do that we cannot do. But in the midst of all of this, Jesus leaves a part for us. And that's to go. Jesus has done everything that needs to be done, but he leaves a part for us to go. He did everything for Paul, but essential to his work is the command to go. Essential to his work are people who will say, Here am I, and will be willing to respond with a go. It's his part to save, it's his part to change the life, it's his part to build a church, but it's our part to go. So Ananias responds, and this is verse 13 is where where I fall in love with Ananias, where I, because in verse 13, it's almost like the name Ananias disappears and the name Robert Welch appears because what Ananias says and does in verse 13 is exactly how I think I would have responded, probably in a less polished way, but I think this is exactly how I would have responded in verse 13. And it all begins with a really important word in verse 13, but. But. And then Ananias begins to explain to God something I think, like, it's just obvious. Like, Ananias says, but God. I hear you. Do you know who Saul is? I don't know if you knew this, God. You're really busy, you've got a lot going on right now. But this guy, Saul, so like, he is killing people like me. He is a persecutor of the church. He hates people like me. And for that matter, he hates your son, Jesus. He hates him. I don't know if you knew that. And so not only that, he even has letters. Like, he is on a mission. The reason he is in the city of Damascus is because he was told to arrest people like me. And God, you want me to go see him? God, you know what I think, God? I think he's duping you. I think he's faking it. Lord, I don't know that he's been saved at all. Like, he, he's probably faking it because you're gonna send me and I'm gonna go and guess what's gonna happen? I'm gonna get arrested. And, but God, <laughs> like really me, I've never, why are you asking me? I, like, I don't even belong here in this story. I mean, there's no story about me before there's no story ever. Why would you ask a person like me? But God, I've got little kids. I just got married. Now, we have kids. God, really? Because if he arrests me, who's going to feed my kids? If he arrests me, they could go hunt down my wife and my children. Are you really sure you want to send me? But God, I just got this new job, and I'm really needed at work. But God, it's the weekend, and uh, we have a baseball tournament this weekend. God, I can't go. But God, I'm I'm getting, man, I'm just like a year away from retirement, God. But God, I'm old. My knees aren't the way they used to be. Nobody respects me because I'm older. But God, there's no way you would ask me. God calls him to go, and Ananias does exactly what I've done so many times in my life, is that our start bringing out the reasons why I can't. I start with a but, and to make excuses for why I can't do what he is telling me to do. And even going to the place and point, you must not really be asking me to do this because of all the buts I just listed. Church, don't give God your butts when he asks for your go. There will always be a but. There will always be an excuse. There will always be something that you can use to justify why you shouldn't do what God wants of your life and what God is calling you to do. Because listen, the call of God, the mission of God for you and for me is not an easy mission. I don't know why it is that we've gotten to this place and point where we believe that God's purpose for our life and God's will for our life is to make us comfortable, is to make us happy, is to make our lives full and wonderful. Why do we think that's the way it's supposed to be? Because our leader, Jesus... That was not the way it was for him. At the central part of what he did in his mission was not to go on an extravagant vacation and have a marvelous retirement and have an incredible success and popularity and make everybody like him. No, his principal part, the most crucial part of who he was was to die on a cross. And by the way, he said to us, take up your cross and follow me. Where have we gotten off to think that God's will for our life must be to make us happy? And fat and rich and blessed. I got news for you. That's what heaven's for. And heaven's gonna do it better than this world can do it, friends. Heaven's gonna fill it up more than you could ever be filled up in this place. Heaven is the place where we get rewarded and we get to enjoy full peace and full happiness and full joy and full presence of God himself and the son all the time with no sickness and no crying and no nothing else. But earth is the time to go. Earth is the moment that God is calling for you where we live, where we work, where we play, to go. Because he has positioned you in your here with people around you. In your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your very home that are lost and dying and destined for hell. And he has called you and I to go. Jesus said himself, the harvest is plentiful, meaning there's no problem with the gospel and there is plenty of lostness to go around. Let me tell you something here in East Texas, in the city of Longview, Spring Hill, and around here, there are plenty of lost people. And in our world today, here's a stat for you. There are more lost people today living than ever have been in the history of humanity. Do you realize that if Jesus were to return right here in 2022, more people would spend eternity in hell than at any moment in human history ever before? The harvest is plentiful. The gospel is powerful enough. The lostness is right there under our noses, all around us where we live, work, and play. But Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but here's the problem the laborers, the goers, are few. The people like you and me, the simple people, the people that there's nothing necessarily unique or special or powerful by, the people like Ananias, there are not people who will be willing to say, here I am, and be willing to go. Give God your go. Who you are, where you are, be willing to say yes. So Ananias does that. He gives him his here, he battles with him, but he ends up giving him his go. So here's the last thing I want you to see. It's really just one word. In verse 17, the first word, it's this word, so. So what was the sermon about this morning? Here, go, and so. So, Ananias departed and entered the house. And the rest is history. This word so is essentially this, Ananias did what he was asked, so he went. This is Ananias obeying. This is Ananias giving the yes with the action to follow. And ultimately, we don't know a whole lot about the situation and what happened in this moment. We don't know if, if what it looked like for Ananias to enter that home, we know that he went in, he he put hands on him as Paul was praying, he said, be filled with the Spirit, and and that was it. What we know is the most important thing, Ananias did it. He did what God asked him to do. And at the end of the day, friend, that's ultimately what matters It doesn't necessarily matter how, it doesn't necessarily matter you know, how, how polished it was, it doesn't necessarily matter what we declare and what we say and what we scream, and it ultimately matters what we do. Ananias did something, and God used it. You know, I can sit here and I can ask you, hey, do you believe lost people need to be saved? You'd probably say yes. Do you believe Jesus is the only way to save them? You'd probably say yes. Do you believe that God wants to use you to lead lost people to the Lord? You'd probably say yes. Do you believe that God wants you to obey him in certain parts of your life? Yes. You'd probably say, if we said this, do you have sin in your life? And every one of us would have to admit yes. Do you think that sin should be there? You would say no. Do you think God wants you to get rid of that and turn that on? You would probably say yes. We could declare that and declare that and declare that. We could raise our hand and say, how many of you love people that are hurting. You'd probably raise your hand and say yes. How many believe the power of Jesus' name? You'd probably say yes. We could go on and on to these declarations, these proclamations. we get music going, make it loud and fun and awesome. But at the end of the day, what difference does it make? All the declarations, all the things that we say we believe, at the end of the day, true faith, true obedience, is putting action to what we believe. It's the word so. You know, it was a really simple thing here that Ananias did. I mean, literally, it couldn't have been any easier. What is he supposed to do? What does Jesus tell him to do? Go in, find him, put your hands on him. That's all he says to do. He doesn't even say pray for him. He doesn't even say witness to him. He doesn't even say teach him about this book that he's gonna write one day called the book of Romans. He doesn't even explain to him, tell him what substitutionary atonement is. He doesn't say any of that kind of stuff. He just says, go put your hands on him. And something in that moment of putting his hands on him, Jesus works in a miraculous and incredible way. That simple moment, began a movement in the Apostle Paul, this young believer that eventually grows up, matures, to become the greatest missionary this world has ever known, to become a man whom God used to write half of the New Testament, all because of one simple obedience. The trajectory of the church was changed. God can do so much with something so simple. He can do that in you. There's so much he can do with just simple yes and a simple obedience. There was something put before you really simple that's happening next week at this church. There's gonna be an awesome fall fest. I mean, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be huge. There's gonna be tons of fun at this. But, and I've seen this a 100 times or so, a simple invite to that Fall Fest next Sunday to a family in your neighborhood or in your workplace or in your family could be something that God uses to change an entire family for him. I've seen it begin at stuff like that. Because God can do so much more when we give him our faith than we could ever do in our own power. So like, do that this week. A simple conversation with someone that you work with to just say, hey, something as simple as, how can I pray for you this week? I've never done this before, but how can I pray for you this week? Or for some of you this morning, it could be that there's certain things that God has been trying to work on you, trying to get you to give over to him. Maybe it is that addiction. Maybe it is a sin that you've just held onto. And God says, listen, I want to free you from that. I want to use you through Would you just hand that over to me? And listen, God can do so much more by just releasing it to him, so much more through you than you could ever do with that in your life. And for some of you this morning, God is calling you by name to give him your life to turn your life over to Jesus and with just a simple yes just a simple I turn my life over to you God can through that moment of faith change you transform you give you eternity in heaven make you a different you. Something you could never do. In a moment of just placing your faith in Jesus, he can change and forgive everything. So just say, here I am. Some of you in high school in college, Trying to figure out what your life's about, trying to figure out what your future is going to be. I can't think of a better time in life to just say to God, Here I am, than where you are right now. Here I am. You show me where to go. You already have my yes. This morning, I guess the invitation is just simply this, that we as a group of people would just simply say to God, at whatever level we're at, whether we need to come to faith in Christ or whether we are following Jesus or whether it's been far a long time since we walked with Jesus, is to confess to him, here I am. Here I am. New beginnings, here here I am. Tell me where to go, and I'll give you my soul. Would you respond this morning? Would you give God your here? Would you give him your go? Would you give him your soul? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your incredible plan. You, you choose, you pick people like us. You, you let people like us as broken and as wounded, as an imperfect and with all of our mistakes, with all of our sins, with all of the things that we don't do so well, with even some of the things that we do well, you use people like us to be part of your plan. Forgive us for resisting. Forgive us for withholding who we are to you, for not being available and willing. Help us to surrender. In Jesus' name we pray.